Hello, we would like to let you guys know before listening to this upcoming episode that we recorded this on the morning of Thursday, March 12th, and that was prior to a lot of the very public shutdowns of sporting events and and government reactions and things of that nature to the COVID coronavirus. So with that being said, this was based upon the information at that time. We do hope that you enjoyed the episode, and we look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, we're going to do an episode about the current events, as we tend to do when, when they come up. And you had just come back from an extended trip, as you had told me about, and you know, one of the things being here in America and the church being a global community that we look out for is the welfare of our people, essentially. And Corona is a thing that people are getting very worried about and upset about. And being that it's a topic in a lot of things and that many different dioceses around the world are having to deal with this problem, we wanted to take this opportunity to, to chat about it. So I wanted to give you the floor so you can kind of give us the baseline of where we're at and um, the direction that we should go with this. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, I appreciate your, uh, well, anyway, my, my own feelings about it. You know, there seems to be a lot of uh, energy around uh, a lot of a lot of panic happening, a lot of concern and, and a certain lacking of uh of reason in some cases, my I, I tend not to be very scared about disease in general, and so I'm probably overly dismissive. And I was in uh, Israel, and in fact, we were riding just a day ahead of when things shut down. I was in Bethlehem on Wednesday. Thursday, they closed Bethlehem because uh, a group of Greek tourists had gone to Egypt and had picked up coronavirus, had infected several workers in the hotel. And so the Palestinian Authority closed down uh, Bethlehem and and other Palestinian territories. So we changed our itinerary and did not go to Jericho because uh, it was closed under the Palestinian Authority. I we left Israel on Sunday. On Monday they started quarantining tourists and not allowing them to leave. So I just missed uh, being quarantined in Israel by a day. And. Uh, Anyway, so I've been sort of close to it that way. Also, being at a college and uh, running some programs, you know, where uh, a lot of colleges are closing, are are stopping classes. That's where it starts to get a little bit, I don't totally understand all the reasoning behind some of the measures that are being taken. And so our, our own college, you know, had to face, has to face that question. It's also changing rapidly. Nobody wants to be in a position of uh, being foolhardy about it and saying, well, this is all a big scare and it doesn't matter. And then because of some action we didn't take, thousands of people get the disease, some percentage of which even die. Um, And so, uh, you know, it's fairly distant. I think there are like 12 cases in the, the entirety of Pennsylvania at this moment. Maybe it was 16 when I checked this morning. This is as of March 12th, you know, when we're recording this episode, we have to be specific about dates, which we're not normally because it could be completely different by the time some of these things broadcast. We'll have to even pay attention to that, I suppose. Um, But 
anyway, you know, it's it's fairly distant from us in Pennsylvania. I have a friend in Italy. Uh, he's our translator for WAOB, and so he's much more in the middle middle of that whole situation. Things have spread more rapidly in Italy even than they did in China, which is interesting. You know, uh, uh, so the entire northern half of Italy has been quarantined, and they've ceased all public celebration of the sacraments in Italy, uh, which is pretty extreme. I mean, so nobody can go to mass. And so the Pope has even started live streaming the mass that he's celebrating by himself, essentially, from the uh, the Doma Santa Marte where he lives so that people could watch that and, you know, pray. He wants people to pray. It's not that uh, that's uh, that he doesn't want people to pray. But so I then I said, you know, well, what, what's the issue? You know, like, what do they hope to achieve by shutting things down, not not going to different places? And I guess part of the problem in Italy is the as the medical system is completely overwhelmed. So you can imagine if suddenly uh, a ton of people got a disease that they don't know what to do with. What do they do? They all go to the hospital or they go to their doctor. They, they get appointments to try and deal with symptoms that are severe enough that people are dying from it. You know, it's uh, not trivial symptoms. It's not like they just have the sniffles or something. And then when you get so many people, uh, that, you know, the, the hospital system just can't handle it because having commoditized medicine, we have basically trimmed down, we've slimmed things down in our medical system so that they can handle a certain very minimal fluctuation. But when there's a sudden flood of people, two, three, four times as many people as they're used to, that creates a whole other issue. You know, they're running out of respirators or they've run out of respirators. They run out of personnel. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, there are nurses and doctors who don't want to, I don't know what all of, all of the details, but you can just imagine when a system that's, you know, made to handle a hundred people suddenly has to take in a thousand people or whatever. And so all of the measures to uh, slow or to, uh, quarantine are really intended to slow down the disease, to slow down the uh, the spread, so that they can handle a you know a certain number of cases. Then expecting okay, then the next wave of cases and the next wave of cases and things like that. So they're really trying to make it manageable for uh, for the medical personnel. Um, and and certainly you know it's it seems in declaring it a pandemic. It's I, it's recognizing the fact that containing it to a certain region, containing it to a certain country is kind of a lost cause, which confused me a little bit. I, I don't know, maybe the U.S. is not sufficiently affected so that more exposure from Europe actually matters. But I, I was a little bit surprised by the measure of President Trump to shut down international travel. Um, I'm clearly not an expert, and I'm picking all of this up in bits and pieces secondhand. So, I'm not claiming that I'm a I'm the presidential advisor on this. But anyway, from what I understood in reading about the pandemic, I I thought, oh, well, then it sounds like you really shift efforts instead of quarantining, and thus also, you know, damaging the economy. And I, I can't imagine how the airline industry is surviving. I mean, I don't know. I, because I, I imagine they have pretty similar costs 
maybe not maybe the maybe if they don't fly planes then the costs go down and the income goes down in a proportionate way but i would have thought that the uh, the economy of scale is significant and so shutting down as many flights having to refund as much money still needing to pay a ton of employees anyway i would have thought that that some of that is just getting crushing not to mention the effect uh, the effect on you know the stock market and I know, you know, shipping things, I mean, matters like Amazon, I suppose, can't fly to different areas, different countries. Anyways, there's a lot of impact. I mean, huge economic impact, it seems to me. And and if it's not done carefully, then you, out of panic, end up creating more problems. I mean, if the stock market crashes and we go into a recession. <laughs> and anyway, I mean, then then there are other other kinds of problems that start to stir up in addition to the medical problems. And um, so anyway, it's I think it's all very interesting. And the kind of the social dynamics on the one hand, the spiritual dynamics on another hand, you know, are we uh, in like one person said to me, they need to not cancel masses. They need to have more masses so that churches aren't as packed and people can sit farther apart. And we're praying more. <laughs> we need to be offering more prayer, more sacraments, more masses, not limiting those things, uh, which I think is a great perspective. Um, and, you know, is how how much is it actually affecting the spread? There are still questions we don't understand in terms of like if I touch it, if I sneeze on my hand and I touch a door and you touch a door five minutes later, does that matter? If you touch the same door an hour later, does that matter? You know, there isn't a, a clear answer about how long the virus is surviving outside of uh, uh, organic substances, you know, on, on doorknobs and benches and things like that. Are the efforts to quarantine and to separate people, how effective will they be? You know, can we do that in a less damaging, less fearful way, but still effective? Everybody's using tons of, we got hand sanitizer things showing up all over the place. My understanding was that hand sanitizer doesn't even affect viruses. And in fact, it kills the bacteria on your hands that helped you protect you from the viruses. So, you know, it's like, it just seems to me there's this space of this weird space of of not using reason and and reacting although we do that in a lot of ways i mean airline security is probably minimally effective but it's you know the fact that people can be peaceful and not freak out is is worth something so if you have to check something to give people the the feeling of security okay well there's something to be said for the feeling of security but if it makes things worse because your hand sanitizer is making you more vulnerable well then that's you know maybe not uh, helpful so I dispute a lot of stuff. And I know you have a lot of thoughts about this, Joe. This isn't, you know, a place where my sort of spiritual expertise is that has the last word. And you may have even read more stuff than I have. I, I've hardly even uh, paid that much. I mean, I just, it's, it's so much in the air. And then I am having to make some decisions. We have some conferences coming up for the Institute of Ministry Formation, which I'm the director of, and I'm teaching those conferences. And so I need to be we're having people cancel for May and June conferences already and trying to prepare for what might be necessary in terms of online, shifting them to online. And so I have to pay attention to some degree. I have to make some decisions. I have to be responsible for people's souls and to guide them. But 
I certainly haven't read every news article. I got a lot of stuff to do <laughs> without doing that, as I'm sure you do too. But anyway, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and and uh, just to talk about this a little bit. Yeah. So to, to start with the baseline, as you mentioned before, you know, this is as of March 12th. So so as things change and all that, as I'm sure they will, um, I also tend to stay a little bit more grounded with this compared to most people, um, you know, very numbers driven. And the simple fact is that it is still a strain of a flu. Now, granted, um, that's what the category of flu is a Corona. That's why they started calling it the specific number and type of this flu. And it still has a lower kill ratio, meaning that in terms of the percentage of you getting this particular uh, disease, this version of Corona versus the standard flu, you still statistically are less likely to pass away. Now, that being said, the elements and the struggle and the miserableness of the flu is never happy regardless of which version you get, and that's just not a, a good thing. And there's a big difference between a standard cold and a flu, and I think that a lot of people mix that up. Um, so that that's just a... A starting element. The other element that I know is that, historically speaking, uh, flus go away as the temperature gets warmer. There's a viral effect with that. You don't hear about flus in the middle of July. You hear about them in the winter time, and there's a biological reason for that. When the government goes out and tries to figure out what to make the flu virus, what they really do is they go to the southern hemisphere which is their winter during our summer, they look to see which is the most contagious flu flying around there, and then they build the vaccine up for it so we have it in the fall and in the winter. So the fact that this is coming around here at the second half of the winter, in a sense, is a blessing because by natural biology of a virus, it ought to go away within a couple of months. Uh, So that's from the biology standpoint i'm looking at it but then i'm looking at it from the social dynamic and to see wide-scale quarantining man most of us can't even think of the last time that happened and for the majority of our listeners probably wasn't in our lifetime and the imagery that comes to your mind when you hear about people doing quarantining and cementing one group to the other it's never positive. Um, <laughs> so to hear that being like now the standard answer and idea it, it, it is and on a gut level scary. I mean, it, it just should be. Um, but to go into what you were talking about as, as managers of authority and decision makers, you know, what should we do? You know, we're, we're all in, in the same category. No one wants to be responsible for being asleep at the wheel and not letting something happen. But at the same time is your choice of not allowing people. So for, for instance, I'm in the city of Pittsburgh, um, the city of Pittsburgh today, or the university of Pittsburgh and the university of Duquesne, which is where I went, both declared last night that all of their classes are going to be shifted to online. So as a result, we're not going to have people all coming to the classroom and intermingling. 
But in reality, does that really solve anything? The answer is absolutely not. They're still living all in the same dorms, um, and they're still going to go hang out in the same places they do off campus together. So instead of them seeing each other at 9 o'clock in the morning in the biology lab, they're just going to go hang out together at the same bar at 9 o'clock at night. I mean, people are still going to intermingle and be social. Um, I think the other element that adds to this as far as the hysteria component of it is the fact that two facts really is that first is you have a complete news agency industry that's built around fear and anger. Um, as we've discussed multiple times and people thinking that, Oh, I could get this virus. I'm so important. I can be scared much more easily scared by it, uh, is a driving force. I mean, it is very clear that when there's a so-called crisis news agencies, Ratings go up, and it is in their best economic interest to feed it. That's a fact. Um, so I keep that as a significant component of of when people are talking about. Are they talking in, in actual facts, statistics? This is how many people have contracted it, where they've contracted it, versus what it could be. Because their what-it-could-be forecast tends to be very blown out of proportion, um, which is why when... <laughs> We introduced this topic. I had the skeptical belief that by the time Easter comes around, this won't even be a thing. We'll come up with some new problem. But you did bring up up the economy, and for the airlines in particular, absolutely the economy of scale is you need to have a lot of people on there. Uh, when's the last time you were on a flight that wasn't at least 80% full? I mean, they cram people. 90, their, 95% yeah. full. Exactly. They cram everyone in there because they need to. So the, the economic fears are real. Now, granted, we're America, so, so we have um, a much, much larger economy than, than Italy, for example. You can just look at the land mass each of us have and a much more built-up infrastructure. So when something like this happens, I mean, since what, 1910 or something like that? America fixes the world's problems. We make some of them, not fighting that, but we fix it. And the uh, and every medical school in this country was given the option to essentially join in a race to find the cure, and whoever does is getting a really good payout. Hmm. Um, so we're going to see, see what John Hopkins comes up with or some other medical school or something like that. So they are on it, and... It's mostly, in my perspective, a byproduct of the hysteria more so than it is the actual thing being a problem. And the fear I get from that is, yes, people can do, in herds, can do a lot of stupid things. And weak decision-making can make that worse. But we've heard the story many times about the child who cries wolf. You know, at some point, if your news agency continually is wrong, you're just not going to believe it. And then that's where where true evil can step in. So th that's, that's, I guess, a more macro-philosophical fear than anything. Um, I do feel bad for, for the, the communities, especially in the service industry, that are going to be affected by this. Um, and, and it will cause a, a recession in some capacity. It, it already has. 
Um, if you're looking to get a, a prom gown or a bridal dress, the majority of where those are physically manufactured at is the region of China that got shut down first. Hmm. And the inventory of getting those is going to fade away. So if you have a high school girl, go out and buy your prom dress today because it may not be there next week. Um, same wow. same with the wedding people. And, and David Bridal is freaking out. That's at least the the local chain that's a, that's in my area. So these types of things are going to happen just from natural shortages. And then for anyone who lives in a snow area of the world, where not talking like Buffalo where you get snow every Tuesday and you're just used to it, but the places where you get it often enough to know you're, you can get trapped somewhere, but not regularly enough where you're always ready for it. We have this effect in Pittsburgh where, the weatherman says you're getting five inches of snow. Every supermarket gets cleared out of bread and milk. And the next morning there was no snow whatsoever. But now you got 10 loaves of bread in your house. So that running panic is a thing. Um, and I guess from my standpoint, the most important thing we can do is actually look at it from a, a factual standpoint. Um, and our president is one who is known for blowing a lot of hot air and wolf and cried wolf. But when he came out on his address and said, we actually do have the best medical researchers to determine things. We do. Um, our medical department of a, as a country is one of our biggest exports as far as exporting knowledge of medicine. Education is one of America's largest exports. And they come here because we know stuff and we're good at stuff. Those are facts. You could be hypocritical about the messenger or cynical of, of where it's done at, that it's not a state that votes the same way as you or whatever. That doesn't change the fact that we know medicine. And when it comes time to producing a, a cure, we're very good at that. And if you kind of take it to the next step, we cured so many real problems. We started working on the secondary and you know tertiary actual problems we're solving. Um, you know, you can think around your your pill commercials that are advertised on TV and go, is that really affecting that many people, or were they just able to figure something out because they've taken care of all the major issues? Um, so, I look at it from. I don't think it's a cynical standpoint, but from just the, the numbers standpoint, this is not a biological problem per se. Sure. This particular strain has quirks that your normal cold doesn't have, because again, it is a flu, not a cold, but it, it's not going to, uh, it, it, it's not going to kill very many people. And you know, it, the majority of the people who are classified as being killed by this, I suspect were already going to die by something else, and they just got corona attached to them. Um, and as far as Italy not being able to to handle the influx of of people, and and compared to us, I mean, quite frankly, we can't either. I mean, we're not designed to have half of our population show up at a hospital. We're not designed to have half our population show up anywhere. I mean, you ever see rush hour when you got 10% of a city on the roads at once? It's a crazy. It doesn't work. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's not meant to alleviate it. But, you know, like the state of Ohio came out yesterday and said no public gatherings for any venues. 
and all of the sports teams that play in Ohio, and that's actually enacted as of today is the first day it comes into effect, are going to be playing in empty stadiums. You know, you, you truly think about it. If you want to go watch a, you know, a hockey game and you can't go to the actual facility it's at, you're just going to go somewhere else. You're still having people gathering together. <laughs> that, that part's not going to change. And the city of Pittsburgh, as well as many other cities, canceled their St. Patrick's Day parade here over the, that will be upcoming this weekend. People are still going to go out and celebrate because that's what Pittsburghers do. Um, we're just going to do it in a different place. So instead of everyone being all downtown at the same time, they'll be in other scattered spots around the city. So in that regards, I'm not even sure that this notion of canceling anything practically works with the exception of just feeding a panicky fire, um, which is why from my perspective, I... I did not tell my guys to not show up to work today, you know, nor probably will I. You know, they need to make income. They need to pay for their families. Just because the rest of the world's going crazy doesn't mean they don't have a mortgage to pay. So I, I look at it from that perspective as as the employer. So, um, and I know everyone has has different takes and, and responsibilities for it, but you know th- that's how I look at it and and go from there. And, and and I do agree with what that suggestion was about having more mass. Um, you know, I, I know that the Bishop of, of Pittsburgh sent out last Wednesday that, that we weren't going to do the sign of peace or uh, offer the blood of Christ. Um, I was at a funeral yesterday and literally the whole family, they told them we're, we're still doing the sign of peace. So even if you don't say now offer a sign of peace, just pause like you always have your entire life as being a priest because we're still doing it um and, and also from that component every single person we met we saw in the funeral home the night before you know you're in a confined space and all that so i look at it as statistically speaking you're you're more likely to die from a, the standard viral flu that we were trying that the flu virus this year was trying to beat um you might get a nasty disease that is a flu that hurts more than a cold but it's not going to to make you pass away and it's also at the end of flu season so i i look at it in that perspective that this seems to be a lot to do about nothing and i i see it very much as a possibility of being the boy who cried wolf so again i i, I don't want to, to to kill the clock on on me talking here so i want to give you a chance as, as we're about at the 26 minute mark to give some thoughts as as we roll forward here yeah well you you make a, a lot of a cogent uh, observations men i think uh i think saying people who are dying of corona would have died anyway is uh probably a little bit uh crass <laughs> um you know and I, and and i you know just to just to present the the other side if uh i mean part of the problem with a new virus is that we don't have any normal recognition our bodies don't recognize it and so one of the things they're saying is everybody that's exposed to it is infected by it you know how much it actually 
shows up in symptoms is a different question. That may be depending on your immune system, whatever. But the fact that we don't have any any human defenses against it means that it's going to spread everywhere. Um, and so can we even contain it? You know, even if it's only a 2% death rate, if it infects half the world, that's 50 million people. Uh, that's a lot of people, you know. <laughs> then you create a different economic thing in terms of the number of graves and funerals and everything else that you're tending to. Uh, even if people were closer to death, the fact that 100 people died today as opposed to those 100 people dying over the next four weeks makes a difference, you know. Um, and and it's, you know, when it's somebody else dying and it's not somebody close to you, when it's uh, somebody else's grandfather and somebody else's baby, then uh, it makes less difference than when it's your grandfather and your baby. So I want to be sensitive and acknowledge all of that too. Um, and yeah, I mean, why did it spread so fast in Italy and what's preventing it, you know, what, what can prevent it from spreading as fast here? Uh, you know, I think those are, 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 are the measures actually going to slow it down so that the, as I said, it spread faster in Italy than it did in China which is pretty surprising. And why was that? And can we do anything about that? Slow it down so that, again, we can make it more manageable, even as you're saying, you know, and, and perhaps that's the reason for so much of the quarantining is if you can actually stop it in the next month, it's going to be a non-issue a month from now. And if we can save uh, a billion people from getting the virus by slowing it down over the next month, well, I think that's probably pretty worthwhile. So... Anyway, just to offer some of the counterpoint to uh, the very, very reasonable things you probably, if you hadn't said it, I would have said it. So <laughs> just uh, the fact that we're having a dialogue here, I'll, I'll take up that opposite position and, and just say some of the reasons that it might be reasonable. But um, anyway, good, good discussion. And we'll see what, how, how things play out. And certainly it, it is important for us to pray and, um, I, I, I guess one point of reference is the Spanish flu in 1918 and the Archdiocese of Philadelphia stopped all, you know, church services in that context. And I guess there was a parade that continued that probably a lot of people got infected and died because they, you know, were determined to have the parade. And anyway, there are, there are a few lessons to be learned from past experiences, although they are out of living memory. We have to look to newspapers and articles that people are bringing up to remind us of those times. But it's, a, it's an interesting time to be, to be living now, for sure. Sure. And um, even with that comparison, as, as we will end this here, though, that was a much more devastating flu than, than this appears to be. Um, of course, I guess also the caveat that needs to be put upon all this, at least at this point on March 12th, is that the predominant place that got infected first that has the most data as far as people being affected the longest is China, who can literally give whatever numbers they want without being duly verified. Yeah, so that's the grain true. of salt with all this information. That's as right. it gets to the so-called free world, and it starts settling in for for a little bit of time. More accurate numbers will come out as well. So this is one of the few episodes I hope that isn't really relevant here in a couple of months. <laughs> but with that being said, we do thank you for listening. And, and we hope that uh, you guys help us do grow the cast as you have been. And we will be with you again here next week.